Thank you, Marcia. If you'd all stand with me, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 today, the parable of the sower. Stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Verses 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he could not get into the boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood at the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see, and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in the case of the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. But when he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for, this, as for what was sown among thorns, This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would cultivate our hearts, that you would prepare us and make us able to hear and comprehend your word. I pray that we would take serious consideration of the condition of our hearts, that we would not make assumptions and ignorance, that we would not be in vain in our thinking of ourselves. We ask that we would search to know if we are truly in the faith, if we are truly your disciples or not. We thank you for providing your word 
your wisdom, your message of salvation. Please, Lord, we pray, help us to have ears to hear, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had a difficult time grasping a concept, the ins and outs of it? Ever had a conversation with someone and all the while you're nodding your head in agreement, but secretly you're too embarrassed to say anything because you have no idea what they're talking about? <laughs> and then suddenly they say, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, do you? And in nodding you say, no, I don't have a clue, not the slightest. And if you're anything like me, and I hope not, you may have days where you can grasp complex ideas, and then there are those other days. Uh, days where you're doing your best just to get by. I'd call these the revert all remaining power to the engines kind of days, when I'm doing my best to conserve energy just to make it through. Well, sometimes when we are having days like that, or perhaps when we are just not getting it, we need someone to break it down for us, to make a comparison to something familiar. That way the light bulb finally goes off and we can have that, oh yeah, or aha moment. Jesus, however, used analogies to both reveal meaning and to conceal it. He did this through the use of parables. So today, we're going to take a look into the parable of the sower. Here we have a large amount of marvelous truth packed into a small analogy, brilliantly done in an unparalleled way to any orator, Christ, in divine wisdom, shares this with us in a way that no one else could. Christ shares in a way that the crowd could relate to, even if they were completely befuddled to its true meaning. He used an agricultural example, and in those days, most people had an agricultural lifestyle. Tilling, sowing, and tending was a part of daily life. So it was not a far stretch of the imagination to put this description into picture. So here, our Lord, in his infinite wisdom, uses familiar imagery to both conceal and reveal information regarding the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus addresses the crowd with this grand parable, and when he finishes in verse 9, he says, He who has ears, let him hear. Or in other words, are you listening? Do you understand? Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Do you get it? Do you even care at all what I just told you? Do you have any idea what, you, what I mean? And perhaps they responded, nodding in agreement, saying, not the foggiest. Then what did they do? Well, we don't know exactly how the crowds responded. One could imagine that they may have asked for more healings, more miraculous signs, more feedings of the thousands. We don't know for sure, but I can tell you one thing that they did not do. They did not ask the meaning behind the message, and therefore, they didn't get it. So why did the crowds not understand? Well, let's look back at verse 11. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Why? Why did he withhold this from the others? Well, let's look back and remember what was going on at this time. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. They killed prophets, rejected God's word. The spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees, were corrupt and hypocritical, self-exalting, not God-exalting. They were spiritually dead. And they liked it that way. So they did not pursue deeper truth. They were dull and uninterested. They were spiritually blind, deaf, and dumb. They couldn't see it. And more than that, they didn't want to see Jesus for who he is. They wanted to continue in their self-righteous, pharisaical ways. Jesus was implementing a judicial sentence upon unbelieving Israel. As it was in the days of Isaiah, as he was quoting Isaiah 6, so now God declares that they are dull, deaf, and blind. What he is doing is allowing them to continue in their depravity. In other words, if you love your sin, your self-righteousness, if you find your source of joy in worldliness, you can just go on and keep it. It's what you want anyway. Again, Jesus had concealed understanding from them as an act of judgment, judicial action as a result of their hard-hearted, stubborn, persistent unbelief. Had they repented, he would have included them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They were unable to discern what Jesus was saying because they were obstinate towards God's truth. They had no ability to exercise spiritual discernment. Now this is interesting to note, though. The disciples didn't understand the message either. Not at first. But what happens? Look with me at verse 10. They ask, Why do you speak in parables? Then what does Jesus do? He bestows grace on them by explaining. They wanted to know. They had an itch for the truth that had to get scratched. So here we see an interesting but perhaps unpopular truth. That God allows the eyes of the persistently unbelieving to be blinded, but opens the eyes of those that will seek God. Recently, we've been going through Pilgrim's Progress here on Wednesday nights with the kiddos. They just finished this up not too long ago. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character named Ignorance. Ignorance was a character who believed that he could earn his way to heaven with his own works, his self-righteousness. At one point, he made the declaration, I will never believe that my heart is that bad, which brings me to my main point of the sermon today to diagnose the condition of your heart and constantly spread the gospel. To diagnose the condition of your heart and constantly spread the gospel. Later on in the Pilgrim's Progress, Hopeful nudged Christian and said, ask him if he he had Christ revealed to him from heaven. But ignorance heard the question and said, what now? Are you a man influenced by revelations? I believe that you and you, he pointed at Hopeful and also at Christian, and all the rest of what you say about this matter is nothing more than the fruit of a muddled mind. Hopeful said, Why, Jesus Christ is so hidden God from the natural understanding of the flesh 
that he cannot be savingly known by any man unless God the Father reveals him to the man. Ignorance jabbed his finger in Hopeful's direction again. That is your faith, but it is certainly not mine. However, I have no doubt that my faith is as good as yours, though in no way do I have as many fanciful notions in my head as you do. Allow me to add something here, Christian said. You should not speak so disdainfully of this matter, for I will boldly affirm, even as my good companion has done, that no man can know Jesus Christ except through the revelation of the Father. Yes, and I will also say that even the faith that lays hold of Christ, assuming it is true faith, must be forged by the exceeding greatness of his mighty power. Now this is an excerpt, a passage from a book, but it is very familiar. Again, let's look back in Matthew 11, this time picking up at verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So after the disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables, he gave them this answer as to why. And then he goes on to explain the parable. Now there are three parts in this equation um, with one variable. So we have the sower, the seed, and the soil. Who is the sower? Well, ultimately, it's Jesus. But truly, um, it is anyone who proclaims the gospel. What is the seed? Well, it's the gospel. It's the good, news, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. What is the soil? The soil is the heart. So what are the constants and what is the variable? The constants, of course, do not change. The sower and the seed, there will always be those who preach the gospel and the seed remains the same. The gospel will never change. But what is different? The soil. We're called to preach this good news of the gospel, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, as Romans 1.16 says. But what about this soil? Here we're going to spend the rest of our time examining the types of soil or the different heart conditions in the response to the gospel that Jesus himself said that we can expect to see. Let's look at the first one, the pathway or the unplowed soil. Number one, is your heart as hard as concrete? Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Have you ever spread the gospel to someone and it just bounces off of them? This is that soil. This is the heart of that response. The pathway in which we are talking about, we're on the edges of fields, common roads on which people traveled on to and fro. Uh, and in the baking sun and the weight of people's feet, the pathway would become packed down and as hard as concrete. This unplowed, uncultivated soil is the heart of someone that has no ability to receive the gospel. So the seed is snatched away by the evil one before it can even take root. It does not even penetrate the soil. 
This is the fool of Psalm 14 that claims there is no God. The fool of Proverbs that celebrates, boasts, and returns to his folly. These are hard-hearted people, stiff-necked, defiantly in love with sin, actively resistant, lovers of evil, lovers of darkness, haters of light, set in their ways without consideration, care, or conviction. These are people that Satan snatches away the truth from them. These people are skeptics, doubters. They hold prejudices. They're stubborn. Perhaps they're swayed by false teachers. Perhaps they're proud. Perhaps they have more of a fear of man over the fear of God. Perhaps it's procrastination. I'll just repent before I die. I've actually heard someone say that before. I know that if I ask forgiveness, he'll give it, so I'll just wait until I'm about to die. How foolish! You don't know when that'll be, first of all. You could die in a car accident on the way home today. You could have a heart attack or stroke at any minute. And secondly, are you going to tell me that the heart of that man's going to be truly repentant? They're just looking to escape judgment. They don't want to be separated from their sin. They want their acts of guilt to be considered not bad. They want to make excuses for sin and call it good. Let me give another example for you golfers out there. What happens when the golf ball hits a sand trap? The ball comes down and the sand catches it, right? It just grabs the ball. Now what happens to the same golf ball when it hits a hard fairway? It bounces a little, right? So once explained here, it doesn't take a grand imagination to understand this analogy. The hard-hearted are resistant to the gospel, number one. And number two, Satan snatches it away from them before it has a chance to penetrate the heart. Perhaps you had an inkling to repent, but you care more about what your family will say or what your friends will say. And you, who possess an eternal soul, care more about what men say about who God is than what God's Word declares who He is. I'm so grateful for my friend, my Bosnian brother, Amir. Uh, despite living in a place where he is ridiculed for his faith, despite what his family would say, he professes Christ. He lives near a mosque, I think nearly uh, 40 feet away from his home, and he is pressured by his uncles who are devout Muslims to attend the mosque with him, asking, why don't you come with us anymore? Amir's heart by God's grace, has received the gospel of Christ. Our church is sending a team to Sarajevo, Bosnia this week. Jason Helmbacher, as many of you know, who recently and unexpectedly passed into glory, used to say this about Bosnia, that preaching the gospel in Bosnia is like plowing concrete. Sarajevo has a diverse people group, war-torn and hardened by prejudice and unforgiveness, they're an unreached people group for the gospel. And in faithfully obeying the Great Commission, we here at First Baptist have been sending teams every summer to not just teach English, but to preach the gospel. In recent years, Pastor Steve has witnessed more and more and more people willing to have discussions about the gospel in Bosnia. Why is that? Well, I hold to the conviction that as we pray for the hearts of the people in Sarajevo, God is answering prayers and cultivating those hearts. In effect, your prayers are jackhammers for the gospel breaking up that concrete.
So if you haven't already, please sign up to pray for the people in Bosnia that they would hear the good news of the gospel and receive it. Are you the hard, dry road on the edge of the field? If you come here from time to time, some of us have spoken to you personally, maybe some of us have shared the gospel with you and it has just bounced off, may God be working in you today. For today is the day of salvation. Number two, the rocky soil. Is your heart superficial? Verses 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky soil, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. These are people with shallow faith. Victims of easy believism. People that are all enthusiasm and in it for all self-fulfillment. In it for them, what they can benefit from. So these people are the ones that hear the word and they rejoice at first. And then it fades. These people are interested in fixing their life problems. Like the genie in the movie Aladdin. He's your best pal looking to solve all your problems if only you wish for the right things. This is not the God of the Bible. Perhaps these are people searching for social groups and finally feel like they fit in. Maybe they're going through a tough time with family, losing a loved one, recently divorced, trying to overcome an addiction or abuse. And all these things in of themselves are not bad things, but they're not Christ. When you come for the blessings instead of Christ, that is idolatry. These are people seeking their own ideas of heaven. They want to go to heaven, but at no inconvenience to them. Not interested in a lasting repentance or a life of holiness. And so when trials, tribulation, persecution comes, they fade away. Once they learn that life is still not easy, and perhaps being a Christian can bring even more difficulties, they're out. I thought God loved me. I thought he was going to fix all my problems. And out the door they go. Now allow me to clarify something here. Coming to God will absolutely make your life better, but it may not make your life easier. We're not promised health, wealth, and prosperity. We're not. But we are promised the love of God. We are promised a peace that surpasses understanding. We are promised the ability to endure, to persevere under trials. And namely, we are promised Christ himself. I don't want all that other junk. Give me Jesus. Someone coming out of a problem, searching for answers. It looks good. They take it, but they don't commit. These people want all blessings with no cost. They want to get out of hell by saying a prayer, coming to church on Sundays, saying the right words. They may be sincere to a point, but they're likely self-deceived. They are not deeply rooted in Christ. Poor theology, poor worship habits, or the lack thereof, and no wonder people in this condition get fed up when the newness wears off. Like the fool that built his house on the sand, the rain came and the winds blew, and great was its fall. It's a tragedy. 
You can't always see the rock underneath the soil. You can try to disciple these people and then suddenly they're out of here. I bet many of us have known people like that. I knew a young man quite well. Took time to disciple him, spent time with him, fed him both literally and through God's word. He was excited, ambitious, eager. He was involved in small groups and he even went on a mission trip. Soon after high school, he got a job. He was starting to realize how difficult life was. He was unable to afford a car, unable to afford school and other luxuries. And suddenly, when life looked bleak, he withered away. I pray that he returns to the Lord someday. He had no root to sustain. When times got tough, when he couldn't understand why God didn't magically make all things better, he vanished. 1 John 2.19 gives us some clarity on situations like this. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. George Whitfield, a great preacher of the First Great Awakening, preached to multitudes, multitudes of people. And when he was asked how many people were saved, he responded this way. He said, we'll see in a few years. Now what he did not mean is that they had to earn their salvation. But rather, it will take time for true believers to be demonstrated and for true conversion to be manifested. This is radically different to today's thoughts of counting numbers of decisions made, numbers of baptisms, people in seats. We need to be considerate of Jesus' teaching of the superficial heart. Here we have, at First Baptist, here we have such an emphasis on discipleship. I'm so grateful for it. We desire not to just fill seats with superficial hearts, but we desire to make disciples obedient to the Word of God and actively preaching the gospel. Thirdly, the thorns, the weed-infested soil. Is your heart divided? Verse 22, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. Perhaps this is the category that holds more false believers than any other. It's interesting to note that the good seed had to be planted, but the weeds and the thorns are naturally found in this soil, pervasively so. In other words, the worldly desires are natural to us. We innately want to be rich, prosperous, comfortable, and pampered. People that possess hearts of the thorn-infested soil are unable to produce fruit because of their love of, out, of, of worldly pleasure. They are Christian by name, but hearers only and not doers of God's word. As Nick was reading to us earlier out of Luke, or excuse me, out of James. They may be outwardly Christian, but inwardly they are deceived. They give lip service to God, but secretly they are lovers of sin. They hear the gospel, but they do not give up their sinful lifestyle. They are lovers of their friends and their family above their love of Christ. 
They love their pleasures more than Christ, unwilling to sacrifice their comfort for something as valuable as the advancement of the kingdom of God. They would rather have the American dream now than an, than an eternal inheritance later. They may be givers, but rarely generously or joyfully. Where is their fruit? They're not growing. They're stagnant, complacent, content. These people are the ones that cannot in their heart of hearts truly sing, Jesus is better. They're too distracted by the things of the world. And they cannot sing, all I have is Christ, correctly assessing the value of Christ over worldly possession. Perhaps worst of all, they may be lifelong churchgoers, thinking they are saved, but are ultimately deceived. When they stand eager before the judgment, anticipating hearing, well done, instead they will hear, depart from me. I never knew you. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you feel safe this morning simply because you're here? I'm glad you're here. But you're not saved because you're here. You're saved, if you're saved, it's because you're being rooted in Christ. Are you wooed by the world? Do you care more about your career, your job, your promotion, your advancement than Christ? Do you care more about the latest episode on TV than Christ? Heaven forbid. Brothers and sisters, where are your roots? Are you producing fruit? Ask God to prune your heart so that you may be fruitful. I fear that it is all too easy to be caught up in the deceitfulness of riches. And for those of you who think you are escaping this, this temptation, allow me to give you some clarity. I was on a mission trip when I was in high school to a poverty-stricken area in West Virginia. And at the time, it was the most impoverished region in the United States. A kiddo that we were working with in that area straight up asked me, are you rich? baffled by the question and knowing that I was not unfortunate but I certainly wasn't upper class I said no I'm not rich he then asked do you have a car and again thinking to myself about my leaky 97 grand dam with no AC and hand cranked windows it's no Ferrari said yeah but not and before I could finish my sentence he said yeah you're rich Do not be deceived. Christ gives us a clear warning here. Do not be more interested in worldly riches and pleasures than the advancement of the gospel. I plead with you this morning, examine yourselves. You may be deeper into the thorns than you thought. Familiar passage in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now we reach the good soil. Number four, is your heart fruitful? Verse 23, 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Here's something sweet, something good, substance. Here we have a soil unlike any other, set apart from the thorns and the weeds, deeply rooted and fruitful. These are hearts that have correctly assessed the value of Christ over the value of the world. These are uncontaminated hearts, purified, yielding a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times. Allow me to explain how big of a deal that is. A good crop back in that day would have been about a 7.5 return. So 30 is wonderful. 60 is amazing and 100 is unheard of. And listen, it's not, a, it's not the amounts of the return that should be emphasized here. God will choose to work a return more in some than others. That's not the point. The point is not that all yield the same amount but that all yield. The point is a fruitful heart indeed bears fruit. How is it that hearts of those that represent the good soil can produce fruit? We get an answer possibly in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you producing fruit? Are you deeply rooted in Christ, able to weather the storms of life, persecution, trials, temptations? I hope that God is working in our hearts to shape us into productive disciples. In an article back in 2005, almost 15 years ago, Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, wrote this, when researchers took a close look at religious beliefs held by American teenagers, they found that the faith held and described by most adolescents came down to something the researchers identified as moralistic therapeutic deism. This kind of faith, if you want to call it that, consists of beliefs like these. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. After conducting more than 3,000 interviews, the researchers reported that when it came down to the most crucial questions of the faith, the most crucial beliefs, many teens responded with a shrug and whatever. If this was the state of mind of the majority of adolescents 15 years ago, what is the state of mind today? Things certainly haven't gotten any better. So what are we going to do about it, church? I hope the answer is to proclaim the gospel. Keep sowing the seed. Over and over and over, sow that seed. These responses is undoubtedly the result of not preaching any gospel, and if any gospel, then watered-down gospel. It's the result of sugar-coated things. A little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down, says the saying. They're not even administering the medicine. They have a counterfeit seed and a counterfeit gospel, which is no gospel at all. 
We have some people here in healthcare, some nurses. Now imagine, in a hospital, if a nurse was given an order to administer a particular kind of medication to save a sick man's life, yeah, not hard to imagine, this kind of thing happens every day. Not a stretch of the imagination. Now, imagine if she said, patients usually don't like taking this particular kind of medication. Instead, I think I will disguise the, the medicine and give him something more palatable instead. I'm sure they would enjoy the experience much more if he had M&Ms. Hoping for a miracle placebo effect, the nurse eagerly administers her form of medication. What do you think happens to the sick man? Dead. I'll take this to heart. The real sickness is a disease of the heart called sinfulness. And the only cure, this seed we call gospel, is repentance of sin and faith in Christ crucified for sin. You can have fancy lights and fog machines and music that woos you, call it the Holy Spirit and experiencing His presence. But let me tell you this, if you're at a church that is, not, that is into feeling good and not preaching repentance and faith, you're not in a church that has the presence of the Holy Spirit. People are duped into believing a false gospel. They have no discernment. Recently, I sent an article to Pastor Steve, Tim Laswell, and some other friends of mine. The article is about a musical artist that performed an experiment. The experiment was to intentionally write a song that had no real basis to be a worship song, but that was similar to other popular so-called worship songs. The song, entitled Forever Rain, had popular phrases and a repetitive chorus. It contained no reference to Scripture or even a mention of God, but contained a likeness of modern Christian hits. The result of this experiment was staggering. At the time the article was written back in 2017, the phony song had reached number 35 on the top sold songs on the Christian music section of iTunes Store, surpassing and outselling popular artists such as Mercy Me, Hillsong United, Elevation Worship, and Chris Tomlin. Herein lies the danger of easy believism. This is the danger of the sinner's prayer coming to church on Sundays, not engaging in scrupulous study of Scripture, not searching to see if your lifestyle matches the Scriptures. The dangers of making assumptions and saying, I've covered my bases, I'm good to go. This is the danger of holding on to feelings over the value of doctrine, experiences over theology. How many people that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, perhaps even sincerely think they are worshiping the true Christ, are not. They've been sold a counterfeit gospel and have no root, will eventually wither away with no ability to produce fruit. That's a tragedy. This should grieve us. I submit to you, it is the single greatest tragedy of our generation. That many who think they know the gospel, live the gospel, speak the gospel, have no understanding of the biblical gospel. We have hundreds and thousands of churches right now filled with people that are getting ready to hear some kind of Sunday morning pep talk, but not a sermon. Not the gospel. 
Five steps on how to feel better about yourself, fix your marriage, how to be happy, but nothing over grieving over sin and clinging to the cross of Christ. So thankful that this church has put so much emphasis on two essential things. One, preaching the true unadulterated gospel. And two, discipleship. Even so though, here at First Baptist, we must be diligent and persistent, unceasingly persistent in our discipleship of one another. It is far too easy to get caught up in a cultural Christianity without even realizing it. Check yourselves. Check yourselves to see if you are truly in the faith. Where are your roots? So with on-one prayer ministry, women's ministries, O-ring men's Bible study, Bible drill, senior high and junior high youth, small groups, Sunday school, encourage one another. Get it right and not settle for a counterfeit gospel or a half-hearted obedience and then spread that gospel. Sowers, how many seeds do you sow? How many seeds do farmers plant? A few or many? We are called to sow the gospel seed. So many of us are content just to hold on to a single seed, putting all their efforts, everything they got in just this single seed. A few weeks ago at my home, my yard, my driveway, my sidewalk, and seemingly even the carpets of my house were covered in seeds. I have a few maple trees at home, and you know the seeds that kind of look like a wing and twirl as they fall to the ground? I had millions of those things. They were everywhere. I couldn't get rid of them all, and I still can't. In fact, as I'm speaking to you right now, there's hundreds of them still on my roof. We ought to sow seeds like this. In a desperate world, sinking further into darkness, we are called to be the light. Church, we need to be preaching the gospel. You may be thinking to yourself, but I don't know how. I'm not sure I can do that. Well, coming soon, we're going to have some evangelism training courses. I hope you can attend. But I would like to encourage you more with this. I like to paraphrase, paraphrase a quote that I put in your bulletin. The results of hearing the gospel always depend on the condition of the soil and not on the skill of the sower. In other words, don't worry about your skill to preach the gospel. It is the power of the gospel to save, not your power. Bow your heads with me. Have you diagnosed your heart? Is your heart the unplowed pathway? Heart is concrete. Perhaps God is using this message as a way to cultivate your heart. Is your heart the rocky soil? Superficial. It may be hard to tell, but I urge you, dig deeper and deeper. Not be content with little that you may be sure that you have a solid foundation in Christ? Is your heart the thorn in a weed-infested soil? Is your heart divided between Christ and the world? May this warning be grace to you to come to true repentance. 
The promises of this world are empty, but the promises of God's word is sure. Seek refuge in his forgiveness. Is your heart the good soil? Are you being fruitful? Then rejoice. Thank the Lord that he has brought you to the place that you're at. But do not be ceasing in your willing to spread the gospel. I hope you're encouraged this morning. Keep on sowing the gospel seed. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious to us. Even now as we have heard the clear warnings from your word, this is grace to remind us it's not too late to repent, that today is the day of salvation, that you are the one who cultivates the soil and molds the heart to prepare it for the gospel. We ask that you would use your word to remove hearts of stone and grant hearts of flesh, that you would grant repentance and faith even now. We, your church, pray that you would work in our hearts to make us more fruitful, to have a greater sense of urgency for the gospel. Please, Lord, work in us this day for the advancement of your kingdom and your glory. Amen. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel.